Well, guys, we are continuing our series in the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs with our series, Love Song. And so as we continue today, in case you have your Bibles, more than welcome to get those out. We're going to go through some of chapter two together. Now, it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. If you go to Jeremiah or Isaiah, you've gone a little too far, come on back to the left. And um, if there's any book in the Bible that can encourage teenagers to read the Bible, it's actually this book. And so when I was in seminary about 15 years ago, and I shared this last week, and I'll share this every week just in case we have uh, new viewers some of our professors would reference Tommy Nelson's commentary on the Song of Solomon. Now, Tommy Nelson was the pastor of Denton Bible Church, and that was a short drive from Dallas Seminary. Now, the church that Jenny and I served at, and I worked at, we actually used this as a sermon series. We used Tommy Nelson's information and his commentary on it, and we used that in a sermon series. So, some of the things that you're going to hear me say has actually been directly referred to in reference to this study from Tommy Nelson. So let's kind of build some context and kind of build from there. So the Song of Solomon is a love story between a man and a woman. It was written about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. Now, theologians have two perspectives on how to interpret it or how to read it. One, it could be read as an allegory. So it would be referencing God's love for Israel and Christ's love for the church or his followers. Or it could be a literal interpretation where it's a conversation between a man and a woman. It's going to be a little bit of both. And so we're going to look at this as a literal conversation between a man and a woman, but we're also going to reference Christ's love for the church. So last week we looked at four areas of attraction, and this week we're going to look at what it looks like to pursue. We're going to look at pursuit. Now our culture has changed over the last 30 to 40 years. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, we did things a little different than how things are done today. I'm not sure about you. I don't know when you grew up, but I remember back in the day when a girl would doodle a boy's name and then they would add their last name to the boy's last name. Now, girls, they Google the boy at lunch and they have their friends search for him on Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. Do you guys remember pulling out the yearbook? And back then, we would flip through the black and white pages and then any time we saw them, we would maybe ear, uh, dog ear the page, or we would do something to the page where we would remember, okay, this is them. And then we would imagine being with them in that picture. Now they pull out the phone and they scroll through pictures on their IG account or their Instagram account. I remember back in the day when if you really were interested in someone, you would talk with your friend, who would talk to their friend, who would talk to them and to see if they were interested. And if they were interested, they would talk to their friend, who would talk to your friend, who would talk to you. And then if it was a go, you would rip, <laughs> remember that old spiral notebook, you would rip it, rip a page, you would write down your name, write down your number. And then you would give it to your friend, who would give it to their friend, who would give it to them. Now, man, you just pass their contact information from one person to the next person. And then you follow them on Instagram and Snapchat. You want to get that streak started. See, pursuit is about the physical, but it's also about the emotional and the spiritual. See, pursuit is all about connection. Pursuit is all about connection. 
And connection is one of the most important factors in any relationship. And it doesn't just have to be a marriage relationship. I think we would all agree whether we're single or married, we would understand that connection is very important to any relationship. And when it comes to marriage, connection to the other person is vital. Because without connection, the relationship will suffer from isolation. And and when you're isolated, it may lead to separation and divorce. Over the years of doing this, Man, I've sat with countless couples. I've married. I, I gosh, I can't remember how many couples I've married. I've officiated over the wedding. And I will tell you, couples who are willing to put Jesus first have a path to success. I can't tell you how many times when a man and a woman are connected to Jesus, man, they are pursuing Jesus. Their marriage is very successful. And so I hope that's what we get out of this, is we need to be pursuing Jesus. So there are four stages of pursuit that Solomon lays out in his song. So the first stage is preparation. The first stage or phase of pursuit is preparation. Now let's listen back in the conversation where where we left off last week. And this is what the woman says. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, she's talking to her friends, by the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. I love the advice that she gives. I mean, this is really wise advice. What she's saying is, don't force it. Don't try to make it work. Don't try to force a relationship. Don't try it. Don't try to do that because it's going to make things worse. And then not only does she give this advice once, but Two other times in this book, she gives this advice. So this really important advice. And then she continues the advice. Take time to prepare. She says, look, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. The flowers are springing up. The season of singing birds has come and the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. The fig trees are forming young fruit and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. April showers bring May flowers, right? So we have gone from winter to spring. And she recognized that they had gone through a season of winter. What's winter? Right? Winter is, um, she's using it as a time of preparation as roots are growing deeper. Do you know when the best time to plant, like when we plant grass, do you know the best time to plant? It's actually the fall because it allows time during the winter to grow their roots deep. See, keep in mind, winter is not a bad thing. Winter is not a bad thing. And, and like all of us, we go through a phase of preparation. We do. We go through a phase of preparation. For some of us, we wish that we were in a relationship, man. We want it so bad. We just wish we had the right person right now. Some of us, man, we've been recently separated or maybe divorced because the relationship went sideways. For others of us, man, we've experienced betrayal and hurt, and we're learning how to forgive. We're learning how to trust again. For others of us, man, we're still healing from the death of a loved one. And this is, I believe this is true, that God uses these moments to help prepare you, help prepare me for the upcoming season. Listen, He doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't waste your suffering. He doesn't waste your circumstances. He doesn't waste those things. Instead, he uses those things to prepare us for a spring. Maybe he's teaching you how to forgive. 
Maybe he's teaching you how to trust again. Maybe he's showing you that there's something more to live for. And for those of us who are yet to be in a serious relationship, God uses this time. Maybe you're still living at home or maybe you're living by yourself, but he's using this time to prepare you. It might be learning how to pay the bills on your own. It might be learning how to hold down a job that leads to a career. Preparation is so important, especially to to a marriage. Before Jenny and I started dating, we both went through pretty bad breakups and neither of us were looking at dating. And after a couple months of processing, I had, I had to come to a place that I was willing to trust again. I was willing to forgive what had happened to me. And could I love again? Like I had to get to that place. So I believe that that breakup really changed me in a good way. Like I needed that winter in order to have a spring. So I learned how to forgive. I learned how to trust again. And eventually I learned how to love again. And before Jenny and I got married, man, we prepared ourselves by becoming one, by going to counseling. We had to learn about how to handle finances and how to handle each other. Like, we're completely two different personalities. She has empathy, I have zero. She says yes, I say no. Like, there's so many, there's so many ins and outs of our relationship. It was really needed. We needed that counseling. We needed to know each other. We needed to build a foundation. The second phase or the stage of preparation is infatuation. You know, guys, it's that you meet that person for the first time. You just can't stop thinking about them. That means you meet them and you believe they are perfect in every way. Like they could do no wrong. Like they're perfect. Flirting is fun listening to the radio. I mean, all the love songs of the radio make sense. I mean, you're just smiling from ear to ear. You're on cloud nine. Everything is perfect. Now notice the conversation between the woman and the man. She says, ah, I hear my lover coming. He is leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. So it's like Superman. Maybe not. She says, my lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag. So he's a deer. Look, There he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. She's saying, my man is looking for me. Have you guys ever been hunting and you saw a deer? Maybe you didn't have to go hunting. Maybe in your backyard you saw a deer. And a deer has a stare, right? A deer just has a stare. And usually when they're staring, they're usually chewing. It's like, right? She's saying, my man is locked in on me. My man is not taking his eyes away from me. She likes it. And it's not a creepy peekaboo type of thing. But here's the thing about infatuation. You think that person is perfect. You can't keep your eyes off of them. And then marriage happens. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but like Jenny and I, we could joke about something on a Monday. Like I could joke about something on a Monday. She giggles. She thinks it's cute, you know, trying to pursue her, right? Then come Tuesday, I could say the same thing. And she's like, I'm not in the mood. And it's like, whoa, what is going on there? And that's the thing about infatuation, y'all. Like it doesn't last forever. Infatuation doesn't last forever. Most experts say it lasts between a day and six months. Some say it could be up to two years, depending on how much you see of them. But the point is, 
Infatuation doesn't last forever. And that's a good thing. The reason why it's a good thing is infatuation is all about emotion. Infatuation hasn't been tested for a commitment of sacrificial love. Like when the relationship is tested, real sacrificial love is better than infatuation. Why? Because the person isn't perfect and yet you choose to love them. They don't have it all together. They're not perfect, but yet you still choose to love them. So, infatuation has its place. It's part of it. But the goal is that we have a love that stands the test of time, for better or for worse, for death do us part. And since infatuation doesn't last forever, guys, I believe there are, there are three things that we need to limit. Ready? Time, talk, touch. Time, talk, touch. So time. It's important that we don't neglect and abandon our friends for this one person. Like we don't quit playing golf because they don't like golf or we don't quit cooking because they don't like food. Like we, we, we can't do that. Avoid doing that. Avoid making life about them. Instead, integrate them into your life. It's really dangerous to make life about them. Okay. The, the other thing we need to limit is our talk. Build a spiritual friendship. Man, the longer you spend building the friendship, the stronger the friendship's going to be. Like if you overspeak and you rush to, to the wedding talk, it might be too much for the relationship to sustain. And then the other thing that we need to limit is touch. Remember, this is about building a spiritual friendship. Allowing our lustful emotions, our lustful desires to, to take charge can lead us down to, a, down to something that God has not designed it for. I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay, so it leads us to the third stage, and that's intimacy. Intimacy. Notice as we go back in the conversation, notice what the man says. My dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind an outcrop on the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. What he's saying in so many words is I want to look at you. I want to look at you in the eyes and I want to hear you. I want to, I want to talk with you. So he's wants, he wants to develop intimacy. Intimacy is not just physical. Intimacy is transparency and vulnerability. It's letting your walls down so the other person can see all of you. And the physical is a result of the, of the intimacy. It's like when you're intimate, then you're romantic. Like when you're intimate, you'll be romantic. See, the physical is going to ebb and flow, but the intimacy is the foundation on what we're building on. Now, did you notice that in our culture, the script is flipped. Like when couples get through the infatuation phase or they get married, it's like guys reduce their words to headlines and tweets, yet women want novels and details. And guys, I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm ashamed to like, I'm embarrassed to say this, but that was me. That was me. I remember Jenny and I talking all night long in our first few months of dating, and then I slowly didn't say as much. I got consumed in work. And guys, this is something I'm improving on through counseling and through talking with Jenny. This is important to me because I need to improve in this area. 
And something that has helped us is that we actually eat dinner five out of the seven nights together at our dinner table. We eat together as a family. And we're usually there for about an hour. And that's not including food prep. We're there talking for about an hour. So Brooke usually clears her plate and she goes off and does something else. And Jenny and I were just talking. And we talk so long that the food gets hard on your plate. Like that type of conversation. And we're talking about our fears, the things we're struggling with, our hopes, our dreams. We talk about our faith. I mean, one of the questions, if I can let you in a little bit in our life, and one of the things we talk about is, like, are we living a life of faith that is pleasing to God? Like, are the decisions we're making, are they pleasing to God? Because we know that God's pleased when we live by faith. And so we're asking each other those type of things. We call this soul talk. And then we try to get Brooke to bed about three out of the seven nights, bed early enough where we don't have anything else going. And we have about three hours where we just, we just talk to each other. We hang out, we talk. And we call all of this soul talk, man. I'm engaging her. She's engaging me at the soul level. We talk about fears, weaknesses, dreams, goals, our daughter, our faith. And y'all, this is an opportunity for you to do the same like. Can you, do you have someone that they can engage you at the soul level? If you have secrets that you're hiding from the other person, yes, you'll never experience true and complete intimacy because you're not completely vulnerable and transparent. Like you'll want more from that person. You want, you want more out of that relationship, but you won't achieve it. You won't find it because you're still hiding. See, God desires complete intimacy with you. You don't have to hide. You can't hide from him. And he just wants us to be transparent and vulnerable with him. And I believe that when it comes to marriage, our marriage is supposed to reflect our relationship with God through Jesus. See, the final stage or phase of pursuit is purity. Purity. We'll go back into the conversation. Now, we don't know if this is Solomon or her friends, the women of Jerusalem, saying this, but it's important either way. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. So, foxes were notorious, man. They would come and they would eat the blossoms, they would ruin the vineyard, right? They were very destructive. In literature during this time that this song was written, wild animals were often representing problems that could separate lovers. So they would represent a problem that could separate lovers. So for example, in Egyptian literature, uh, love songs would use crocodiles to picture a threat to love. Well, in Israel, they didn't have crocodiles, but they did have foxes. And so this is what they're saying in so many words. Take preventative measures to protect this love from anything that could harm it. Take preventative measures to protect this love from anything that could harm it. See guys, God has a standard. God has a standard that's intended to be followed. And that standard is to honor each other. Honor each other. It's important that it's followed by the person that you date. Like one of God's standards is sex is reserved between a man and a woman that are married together. Like that is the standard. So we have to set our standards up front. It's important that we tell the person from day one that you're not willing to do certain things. Like you have to put that out there and it doesn't help 
telling them that when you're in the back seat of a car or when you're in a dark room together. Like, that doesn't help. It has to be up front. Guys, if they're willing to reject you because of those standards, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. You're better off not going further with them because, listen, love is not about taking. Love is about giving. If they're willing to take something from you, they don't love you. The other preventative measure is to keep everything on. Like, it's much easier to be sexually pure when all your clothes are on. Craig Rochelle says this, keep your tongue in your mouth as long as you can. And the point is, is we're tempted to take it another step closer to intercourse. And that's reserved between a man and woman in marriage. I get the pushback. Well, we're we're older, right? We've we've been in relationships before. It doesn't matter. God doesn't have a an an age stamp on this or a time stamp on this. It is what it is. That's reserved. And we're going to talk more about this the following week in our study. And that that's going to bring us. It's going to bring us into their wedding night. And to get us ready for that, this is what she says. My lover is mine and I am his. We've pursued each other. We've prepared. We've been infatuated. We've pursued intimacy. We've protected our purity. And we're about to enjoy each other. My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee. Return to me, my love, like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged mountains. She's saying, I am so ready. And I want to spend the rest of our night in your arms. I want to spend the rest of my night in your arms. So that's we're going to pick it up in two weeks from now. Next week, we're going to have a special Mother's Day message. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have this documented for us. That we can go back and we can understand that you care so much about our relationships. In fact, one of the institutions that you've created for us is not just the family, but also marriage. And marriage is really important. But our marriage ought to be reflecting you. Father, so I ask right now, whether we're a follower of Jesus or we're yet to be a follower of Jesus, that we ought to be pursuing you. Father, for those who are on the fence about Christianity, I pray that this has opened them up to learn more about you, that they would have the courage to ask questions, recognize that you love them, that their sin has separated you from them, and Jesus came to rescue them. So Father, I ask they would place their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then, Father, I also pray, Father, for our followers of Jesus that are watching and listening. I ask that you will help them, one, to pursue you. Number two, that they would be honoring in their relationships. Father, for some of them that are going through a season of winter, that you would help them understand that you're not wasting their winter, but yet you're using it to prepare them for a spring. So, Father, give them the patience Help them to continue to trust you and help them to continue to walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.